If you've been with us for a couple of weeks, then you know we are on a series called the I Am Statements of Jesus, which is lots of metaphors that Jesus gave us to understand who he is and things about him. And last week we talked about the gate. That was, I'm the gate. That was so vague and so random, and then we kind of delve, dove into it and figured out he's talking about a shepherd's gate. Well, this week it's literally, I am the good shepherd. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody like have any actual experience herding sheep? Not me. I mean, like, I don't have a hook. Really? Okay. She can come preach. You know, like, but understanding a metaphor for something that's not really part of our universe is, can be a challenge. The closest thing I have to shepherding sheep was when, I, after my freshman year of college, I was a day camp counselor at the YMCA. So I had, like, I think they were seven or eight, six, seven, eight-year-old boys. I can't remember which age group it was. We all had segmented groups. All I know is I remember one of my kids had a class of 2,000 shirt on, which makes me old as dirt, because he was like a seven-year-old, and then is 23. You see what I'm saying? Okay, he had a class of zero shirt on, and that was a long time ago. But anyway, every day as a day camp counselor, you had like from eight to five, here's 12 seven-year-old boys. Have fun. And it was that structured, by the way. It was totally up to me to have structure. I'm 18 with 12 seven-year-old boys. It was herding sheep. It's probably more like herding cats. But we had no structure, so it was we were either playing kickball or we're playing what, wiffle ball or you're going to the gym. Like there were, I think at one point they had like a nap or like movie nap time, and that we all sang praises to Jesus for that little segment of time, you know. But like otherwise, we're running all over soccer fields in July in Mississippi. They weren't paying me enough. But here's the thing. All I knew how to do was to corral them with different sports. And by the time that day was over and I was ready to really kind of like wring their necks, <laughs> we would play dodgeball at the end of the day. But we didn't play dodgeball like conventional, like two sides and they go at it. We played all the kids in the middle dodgeball with the leaders on either side. You get this picture? So 18-year-old and 18-year-old, seven-year-olds in, in the pot in the middle. And we get to try to hit them. And so, like, they're running back and forth. They're doing this thing. And we're slinging big. And this is those big actual dodgeballs, you know, the ones that leave the grid on your face. So, like, they're running back and forth. There was this one kid who all day had been tormenting me. And at dodgeball time was like, you can't hit me. You know, that's like a death wish. You challenge an 18-year-old not to hit you with a dodgeball. The funny part was we had been told to aim low because we'd been aiming too high, <laughs> if that tells you anything, right? So apparently we'd left some grid prints, and the feedback was coming back from the parents to start aiming low. So this kid wasn't just, like, trying to get out of the way. He was literally, like, when you go to the, when you go to the mall or the fair and they have, like, the ducks that go across the pond and you try to hit them, he's running back and forth like this, taunting me, back and forth, lapping the middle of the thing, taunting me. In my head, I go, okay, aim low. I'm trying to be safe. Trying being the operative word. When you're in high school, you ever walk down a hallway and somebody kicks your foot right as, you get, right as it goes behind you and, you and they trip you that way? You know what I'm talking about? They kick their back foot when they're in stride and it wraps around their leg and then they face plant. Just me? Okay. Anyway, that's what I did with the dodgeball. 
This kid's running across. I aimed low. I caught his back foot in stride. <laughs> Give me seven, 12 sheep, 12, seven-year-old sheep all day unsupervised. I'm the supervision and see how it goes. That's the closest thing I know to shepherding. I would not call me a good shepherd. <laughs> Line up. <laughs> We're going to dodgeball you to get revenge for all the ways you disobeyed me today and made me sweat in 105 degree heat. We're going to take some revenge. Clearly, I am not the good shepherd. But we are going to talk about what it means to be the good shepherd today. So turn with me, if you will, if you have a Bible. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. We're in John chapter 10. By the way, if you haven't noticed yet, all the, I'm going to take all these I am statements or something in the Gospel of John. So this is verse 11, picking right up where we left off last week. So he's just talked about being the shepherd's gate. Now he's talking about being the shepherd. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep. That would be an 18-year-old in charge of your 7-year-old. Right? Does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. We talked about this last week. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Okay, so our metaphor is a shepherd, or your camp counselor who runs away when dodgeball game's over. But our metaphor for this passage is a shepherd. The shepherds in Jesus' day were everywhere. They were like Walmart workers or something. I mean, there was, it was one of the most common jobs on the planet. There were sheep everywhere. For example, Job had 14,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. Of course, he was considered wealthy because sheep were currency back then. Having a flock meant having wealth. And you had these shepherds that watched over the flock. Hired hands. You hired shepherds sometimes. Jesus talks about that. 14,000 sheep. Oh, by the way, talk about a lot of sheep. Solomon sacrificed 120,000 sheep at the dedication of the temple. That's a lot of sheep. They're everywhere. They're common. They're known. They're in the middle of society, they're walking down the streets of the road. You know, it's not like today everything's paved and you got, you know, sheep crossings or something. They're just everywhere. A shepherd was a common, down to earth person who knew everyone. Shepherds were considered to be a little strong and defiant. How could you not be if you sleep outside in the wilderness at night guarding these sheep, fending off bears and wolves? You're a pretty strong, resilient person. You're pretty capable. There's stories in the Old Testament when David is challenged about Goliath. He says, I can take out the bear. I can take out the lion. I can take out this guy. They were like, <laughs> they had to be, or they weren't, they weren't shepherds very long. They were just not. <laughs> they were dead, you know? So they had to be tough. They had to be resilient. They, had to even, they even pushed authority a little bit. In fact, 
in some circles, they weren't even all that reputable. Because, you know, they're nomadic. They're going from field to field. They could, like, steal your stuff and go to the next field, and you had no idea where your stuff is. They didn't have the best reputation either. But when you look at the scriptures, several of the key people in the Bible were shepherds. David, I already mentioned him. Moses spent a while keeping sheep. Abraham had sheep. He had people, I think, because Abraham had so many, so many flocks. But multiple key people in the scriptures were shepherds. They, were the, they had this responsibility. They had wealth because of it. The interesting thing about the metaphor is he says, I am the good shepherd. I mentioned that shepherds are a little on the sketchy side from a morality standpoint. And anytime you have something and you, you say they're the good one, there's an automatic implication there that the normal operating reputation is not good. You know, like the, he's a good car salesman. Right? He's a good day camp counselor, which means, you know, like he's a good Ole Miss fan, you know, like there's, there's a qualification, sorry for anybody in here, there's a qualification to that that means the standard reputation, not so much. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's got to clarify that when he says, I'm a shepherd, you're not associating him with all the stuff that was negative about shepherds. So they were strong, they were resilient, they were less than reputationable, but Jesus says, I am a good shepherd, and he makes the comparison, right? The good shepherd, the one who really owns the sheep, will stay when times get tough. The hired hand just goes, that's not my job, I'm out. You know, I quit. <laughs> you don't pay me enough for this, my pension's not big enough, I'm out of here, you know? A couple of wolf encounters, and you're like, I need a different career, you know? The lion chewed my arm off. I think I'm going to do something else for a living now. You know, it's just, it says, Jesus says they ran. They were not courageous if they really realized what they were doing with themselves. So Jesus says, I am the good. Another example out of scripture, the good Samaritan. What does that imply already? That the Samaritan's reputation was not good. So when we talk about that parable and he says the Samaritan was the good Samaritan, why was he a good Samaritan? Because he stopped. He was generous. He was charitable. The implication is that wasn't that the Samaritan reputation was the exact opposite. Are you with me? So, hey, Charlie, hey, Charlie, he's a good pastor. Okay. You know, like there's this implication that the rest is not so much. Shepherds had authority over their sheep. They had three primary responsibilities. Lead them to pasture, provide them with water, and keep them safe. Here's your flock. Here's your seven-year-olds, Charlie. Take them into the soccer field. Give them Gatorade every now and then, and don't let them bust it playing dodgeball. Okay. You know, that was their whole, op that's your job. I'm being a shepherd. You know, like, make sure those things happen. Now, that ought to ring a little bit of a bell, right? Lead them to pasture, provide them water, keep them safe. Sound like a psalm you've heard of before? We'll get to that in a minute. So the metaphor is this. That's what we know about shepherds. That's some, some things we know about shepherds. Obviously, it's not everything we know about shepherds. But for our sake today, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, that's where we're going to kind of translate that into it. So what, is it, so what does all that then reveal to us about Jesus? Because he's calling himself the good shepherd. So we know he's not one of them, but he's good. Well, it probably means he can do those three things I just mentioned 
well. <laughs> he can provide protection. He can lead to pasture. He can provide water, right? But I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at verse 11 through 13. That's what my notes tell me to do anyway. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep run away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because our hired hand does not care for the sheep. So right off the bat, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because I will lay down my life for my sheep. If you were here last week, we talked about the fact that literally when they bring them into the fold at night, the shepherd would lay across the entrance to the fold to sleep, to keep them from getting back out, but also to be in a position to protect them from the world around them. He would literally lay down his life in the entrance to the fold to protect the sheep. And Jesus says, I am a good shepherd because I will lay down my life for my sheep. Now, he's not just talking about sleeping next to his disciples. He is talking about literally dying for us. He says, you know I'm the good shepherd because I, can, I will lay down my life for my sheep. And he makes the comparison to the hired hand, the one who does, works that doesn't own them, but just kind of is the employee. And we talk about that. The employee has the less engagement, less risk, reward going on here. He doesn't know the sheep the way the shepherd knows the sheep. You'll know I'm the good shepherd because I will lay down my life for my sheep. He's contrasting this with everybody who's come before him. All the other religious leaders who have come through Israel claiming to be Messiah, not so much. The prophets that have come before that failed, the leaders who have come before that have failed, are really being compared to the hired hands in this passage. And the tough guy going, they got out of here, or they did not prove to be true. He says, but you can know that I am the good shepherd. But I also said that shepherds were everywhere. The shepherds were, ne- were like one of the boys, right? They were part of society. They were everywhere in culture. Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. That's kind of what he's saying. He's relatable to us. The reason Jesus became one of us in the first place is so that we could know him. He says, my sheep know my voice when I call. And I know them. I have a relationship with my own sheep. So when he says, I am the good shepherd, then my sheep know me. We connect, we hang out, we relate, we have a relationship with our shepherd that we could not have had had he not been willing to lay down his life for his sheep. So he's he's with us, he's among us, he, he came to be one of us so that he could know us and we could know him. But then he continues in verse 15 through 18, he says, I know them and they know me the way I know my father. Did you catch that? I know them the way I know my father. Now, who's he talking about? He's not talking about Joseph. This is a claim. This is a claim of divinity. He's saying, I have authority. I am divine because I know God the Father and God the Father knows me. God the Father loves me because I laid down my life for my sheep. He's making a divine claim that's amazing because what he means is, if we know Jesus, then we also know God the Father. The two are one and the same. This is a trinity, this is a trinity statement. 
I know my father, my father knows me, and I know them the same way. But he's also saying that we can have the same relationship with him that he has with the rest of the Trinity. That's an amazing statement when you think about it. Now, not only do we know, we can know Jesus, and he knows us. Of course he knows us. He knows when you peg a kid with a dodgeball. Okay? He knows us. But we can know God. If we know him. And not just like Jesus the man who walked with us. We can know God. We can have a relationship with God himself. Let's look at verses 15 to 18 again too. Because there's some stuff going on here when he's talking about his role as a shepherd. Just as the father knows me. And I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes, takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. All right, a couple of things. Number one, he says there are sheep that are not part of my fold yet, and I have to go find them. The shepherd is not content with, this is my flock. The, sh the good shepherd, Jesus, pursues the sheep that are not in the flock yet. He, sat, he lays down his life for them. He chases after them. I have to call them so they will hear my voice and they will be added. One shepherd, one flock. There's a theological statement in there, isn't it? There's only one good shepherd. Ultimately, there's only one flock. Now, I know you'd be saying, well, I grew up Baptist, or, you know, I grew up Presbyterian, whatever. It's not what we're talking about here. A flock is anyone who listens to the shepherd's voice. You can dunk, you can sprinkle, I don't care. Are you following the good shepherd? If you are, then you're part of that one flock. But he says, there are some who are not. I'm going to pursue them because they're lost. I'm going to lay down my life for them. Now, he says something very incredible about his authority in this passage, too, because he says, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. In other words... Jesus wasn't like floating around doing his preacher thing, his, his prophet thing, and the Romans came and got him and executed him. That's not how it happened. The only reason they were able to crucify him is because he allowed it to happen. He had the authority to lay down his own life, to allow it to happen on behalf of the sheep. And he also had the power and he also had the authority to take his life up again. That's a theological authority statement that says, nobody can take me. I gave my life up willingly. Now that adds a whole other layer to his sacrifice. That is not a person who got caught in a bunch of political circumstances and died. And then we've, now we've spiritualized it and it's a sacrifice for us. He chose to die for you. By his own authority and plan. I lay down my life for my sheep willingly. And I have the power to take it up again. 
That is an ultimate expression of love. It's not an accidental. It's not uh, the Romans were just too powerful. That was the plan. And what's unfortunate is that that had to be the plan, right? But it had to be the plan because the sheep need a shepherd. <laughs> Can you imagine if it, you go to the YMCA and you drop your seven-year-old off and say, I see you at five and there was no shepherd? YMCA wouldn't be open very long. <laughs> but it'd be interesting what would happen, you know? Where would the seven-year-olds be at 5 p.m.? Not at the Y. <laughs> or there would be no Y left. They'd have, you know, they'd have burned it down. You know, like, who knows? The sheep need a shepherd. We need the good shepherd. What does, the sheep, what does a shepherd do? He leads them to pasture. Hey, go to this soccer field at this time and play this game at this time. Not just do whatever you want. See you later. <laughs> the shepherd leads. The shepherd provides water. Gatorade in August. You know, like provides for the sheep. And he protects them from the threat from the outside world. That makes him a good shepherd. This is what he does for his flock. So then the question becomes, this is what we've been asking every week, if this is the metaphor and this is what it reveals about Jesus, then what is our response to that? Our response is really easy and really straightforward when we talk about Jesus as shepherd. It's Psalm 23. I alluded to this earlier. How can you have a week talking about shepherds and not actually read Psalm 23? That might They might like take my graduation credentials from seminary back if I don't, you know what I mean? Like, you preached on shepherding and didn't read Psalm 23? Listen to these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk in the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. What did you hear the shepherd doing in that passage? Guides. Provides water, protects with the staff. Now how is Psalm 23 a response to what Jesus does? It's all in the very first verse. First line, first four words. The Lord is my shepherd. That's your response to the good shepherd. Now what's interesting is, which word, say that to yourself. We're going to do a little crowd participation here in case you're falling asleep. Say this back. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Where do you place the emphasis in that sentence? It doesn't matter. But it has a different meaning depending on where you replace that response. If you say, the Lord is my shepherd, what are you saying? Not money, not power, not relationships but the Lord is my shepherd, if that's where you place the emphasis. If you place the emphasis on shepherd, what are you saying? The Lord is my shepherd. He's my guide. 
He's my resource and he's my protector. And then most importantly, if you place the emphasis on my and you say the Lord is my shepherd, what are you saying? That I belong to the good shepherd. No matter which way you shake this, just those four words, the Lord is my shepherd, is the response to the metaphor and what it reveals about Jesus. He's either the Lord of your life or he isn't. Something else is. Career, money, relationships, power, influence, fill in the blank. Either that's your Lord or the good shepherd is. You can say he's my Lord, but if he's not your shepherd, then you're not following him. You're not allowing his truth to change who you are. If he's going to guide you, it does very little good to call him your guide and do the exact opposite every time he tells you to do something. Welcome to being a dad or campus counselor or for seven-year-olds. Hey, don't put that over there and leave that out tomorrow for the roaches to get. Guess where it is? Out tomorrow for the roaches to get. Because they ignore exactly what your dad tells them to do. I have no idea who I'm talking about. You can't call him shepherd and not follow. The sheep aren't like, yeah, I know he's got the water in the pasture, but I'm going to go hang out with the wolf. <laughs> That's essentially what you're doing, right? I know Jesus is smart. He's good. He'll lay down his life for me, but me and this other sheep, we're going to go hang out with some lions over here. They're awesome. He's either your guide or he's not. He's either your protector or he's not. And by the way, when he guides you a certain direction, it is for your protection. It's quite possibly for your renewal. He lays me beside still waters. He puts you in a place where you can rest. He prepares my table in the presence of my enemies. He walks with me in the valley of darkness. The shadow of death is the famous way to phrase that. The shepherd is standing right there with you with his protective hook, even in the presence of your enemies, even in the darkest moments in your life. He is your guide, your source, and your protector. He's the shepherd. Period. And if he's yours, then you know him and he knows your voice. And you know his voice when you say he is my shepherd. That is a personal statement. He's mine. <laughs> Reminds me of a story. I told you all this story one long time ago. You probably don't remember half the stuff I remember saying the next week, so it's okay. I'll tell you again. When I was doing campus ministry in Madison years and years and years ago, a friend of mine we, have, we got 600 kids in the gymnasium, middle schoolers. Y'all know this story? He decides to reward them at the massive end of this game to dump a Halloween-sized bag of candy on the gym floor. My mentor, my campus minister who has way more experience than I did, just fed piranha. <laughs> there were middle schoolers on top of middle schoolers fighting for the candy. <sighs> We're pulling bodies off the pile. It's like a scrum, you know. It's like, right, get off. Everybody's going to get some candy. Relax. At the bottom of the pile is a sixth-grade girl that couldn't have weighed 55 pounds, glasses sideways, laying on two-thirds of the bag. And I'll never forget this. She looks up. She goes, it's all mine. <laughs> I mean, she might have cracked ribs. We don't know. But she's happy to have two-thirds of the candy. It's all up under her arms like this. But the way she said, mine, 
was deeply personal and possessive. And so when you say the Lord is my shepherd, you're that sixth grade girl going, the savior of the universe, the creator of the universe, the good shepherd is mine. And you know him, and he knows you, and because of that, you know the Father. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. But we're going to pray the 23rd Psalm as a response. The words will be on the screen. So we're going to read this together is what I mean to close, all right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Let's pray. God, thank you for this response. Let this psalm be the words of our heart. Let our life sing praises of you as our good shepherd. Help us to hear your voice and to follow you wherever we may go. In Christ's name, amen.